Hello, everyone. It's Mason and Fricker's Eldritch Storytime Extras. Yes, indeed. Yes. We've got some extra things to talk about this week, Mike. In fact, extra is a term, isn't it? Uh, My daughter says things are extra. Oh, I thought you meant like as in, you know, movies and TV, you know, because I've worked as an extra in them. So have you uh, I have, but that's a that's a that's that's probably that's a, a chat for another, whole another time. Story. That is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the video, I'm realizing your head is much, much bigger than mine. <laughs> that's because I'm nearer the camera than you are. Oh. And uh, it's a it's kind of near and far away. Um it's a concept I learned on Sesame Street, I think. I got it on Father Ted, but oh, okay. If I move back, mm. oh, it's got equal. smaller now. Yes, but if I do that, then I'm further away from the microphone. Yeah. And no, that is good. Me, That's good. So, uh, what do you think to my new shirt? I do like your new shirt. It's um, it kind reminds of summary. Me, it reminds me of a uh, yeah, uh, uh, a Hawaiian tropical island, perhaps. Yeah. That's... And uh, how long have you? Did you have you just made that purchase? my family has a thing or not 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 lucy and and the kids but my you know birth family you ask mum will wear something mum will put something on and you say oh that's nice i haven't seen you wearing that before is that new and she'll say no no it's not new i've had it for like three years it's the first time i've worn it though (laughs) <laughs> and it's the same. I'm the same. It's like Lucy goes out and buys clothes, puts them on. I'm yeah. like, what are you doing? What? 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 You? Why? You, no, why have you got those clothes on? You only just bought them. Keep them I, in the wardrobe I've, five years. Yeah. I do. I bought these. I bought some clothes during lockdown when there were like massive sales on in the shops because nobody was going to the shops physically because they were all shut. So I probably had this about. Yeah, I probably had this literally <laughs> three years. And this is the first time I've worn it. Well, that's uh, that's remarkable. I, I, so, did you buy? Did you buy any hats that are in the uh, lockdown cupboard? No hats. Oh, no, that's a shame. No, we, we I'm could, not big on looking hats. forward to that. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you've got that. Um, well, I think the only hat I've ever seen you wear is a Gen Con hat. Yeah, that's my hat. Gen Con, and that's all you wear. Wear. Yeah. Um, which I think is all, a shame. I'm a one hat man. I think I think a nice Homburg would suit you. Uh, maybe. Okay. Well, I'm you know yeah. I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. I think. Uh, e- I think. It'd be equal, particularly. E- go on. Go on. I was going to say it'd be quite nice to wear when you're going around Gen Con because I'm sure it wouldn't wouldn't make your head very hot wearing one of those inside Gen Con. <laughs> Equally, I'm not a man who has loads and loads of shoes either. I watch some of these programs on TV. I mean, fair enough. It's about clearing your house out and getting rid of all your clutter some of those people have got like tens or even in the hundreds of pairs of training shoes yeah and i've probably excessive. got about if i counted up all the shoes sandals trainers even slippers that i've got it probably it might hit double figures i was going to say it's probably less than the fingers on one hand isn't it it's i think it's probably more than that but right. it's uh it, it's Maybe the fingers on two hands. You're not really a hoarder in a general sense, as as I would understand it. But I mean, you, 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 I mean, there are some things you hoard, aren't there? I mean, there's there's books and records. We don't talk about that. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Books and records. Although you you're not 
there was a time when you were you were out every Saturday picking up old vinyl and uh, there getting, was. Your, getting your glue out and cleaning them and yes and oh yes you, the glue yes the glue but you yeah. I think you've kind of I don't know if you've stopped doing that now or the you know they've stopped settling them. <laughs> people have, have wised up to the fact that their old vinyl is now worth significantly more um so when you go to the car boots now it's you know i just i caught the tail end of the vinyl reselling when people were selling off their vinyl because it wasn't desirable uh, but now it is desirable um and 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 yeah. I've, I've got most of the stuff i want so, but so you're i have that... i have picked up something else mike that right that you're going to want to know about um, and i'm going to, I'm I'm going to read, read a little excerpt of it i was in the charity shop yesterday in fact i bought two things in the charity shop yesterday marvelous one pertinent to our show perhaps wow is a typewriter no way fantastic fantastic they're in really good nick an olivetti typewriter not like a really old one but a nice one it all seems to function well i haven't actually given it a proper go yet but it'll you know all the keys work and it's nice and clean um and it's even got the little book with it uh, so like a tenner, so couldn't say no to that. Well, that, that but, sounds like a bargain. But I mean, um, I imagine um I imagine that was mainly gonna sit on the uh on the top of the wardrobe. Well, <laughs> are you, I'm thinking, are you to are you I gonna get, have all these ideas about doing handouts and things and I think I might get the vibe and because uh, when I when I I, I said to my son, oh, he was sort of fascinated by it, he's in his you know, early to mid twenties and I was sort of showing it to him. He's like, oh, he's quite interested in that. And I said, uh, I used to have a typewriter back in the about 1990. And I wrote a few stories on it back then. And I taught myself to type, well, you know, reasonably. And I was saying to him, you know, before that, I had a computer. And he's like, what, you had a computer and then you didn't have a computer? And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> I don't know why. In the early 80s, I had a ZX81 and then a Dragon 32. And then, um, and then for a while I didn't have a computer. And then oh, they, they weren't—they weren't computers like you would think of the term computer now, were they? That, I mean, not really. No one was typing a book on the ZX Spectrum, were they? I don't think so. Not, not I mean, without you say that a, but... a lot of frustration. Yeah. But anyway, I also bought this. Look at that. Uh, can a man change my Gordon? Can a man Bailey? change? Well, by Gordon Bailey, I'm going to read well, you. And I thought, oh, it's my maybe it's like because it's from the 1970s. And what you probably can't read here is the foreword by Larry Grayson. No, way. yes. <laughs> so this was published in 1979. It's a very slim book. What is it? It's like less than 100 pages, 90, 96 pages. Who publishes books that size anymore? I don't think uh, well, anyone does. Not not many. Um, but, but I mean, we're all on the edge of our seats now for the answer. Can a man change? Well, I, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell okay. you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I thought it was going to be some kind of pop psychology book from the 70s. I thought it's going to be brilliant. <clears throat> uh, but, well, it kind of is. But it's, uh, it, well, I'm going to read you the the, the, the titular story. It, it's, it's in poem form. Oh, even better. Can a man change? The title. Can a tadpole turn into a dog? Can a tiger change into a frog? Can a hippo grow into a flower? 
by exercising his willpower? Can man, by super self-restraint, change himself into a saint? Can he cease being decadent by making a god of good intent? Last verse, just spoilers. Can mankind change as he intends? Well, not until he yields. He bends. If he won't bend, the stubborn ox, he'll never even change his socks. Wow. There's a lot of, uh, I don't know, in there. <laughs> Some deep stuff, isn't it? Well, well, it's it's pretty deep. I mean, I, I think the the you know the second line is as it all really was. It, is it kind of tab, kind of what? Turn into a tadpole, something? Can a tiger change into a frog? I felt a bit like David Brent reading that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but then then I, I kind of asked, oh, kind of you know all this stuff about not until he yields he bends, and then I'm reading on, and there's some anti-abortion stuff and other things, and I'm like, wait a minute. And then I looked up, and I look on the back, and there's no price on the back. And that raises my suspicions. So, And it's published by something called STL, which I looked up, and it's called Send the Light. And it's oh, kind that... of a – have you heard of it? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. But but I, I think I'm rapidly coming to a, uh understanding of where the book is uh, maybe Yeah, me from. too. So it's coming from uh, Evangelical Christians of the 1970s. Um and uh yeah well it's a it's the first edition well i think uh, that's (laughs) some clearly some reading for you there to uh to dig into paul um you know and uh perhaps uh put it back in the charity shop when you're done (laughs) (laughs) and that's and that's why the viewers on youtube yeah well i mean mostly just for the cover yes yes marvelous It, it reminds me a little bit of um Oh, what's the guy's name? The guy that did Mr. Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Reminds me a little bit of that kind of naive 70s uh, graphics, which I kind of like. Yeah, definitely. definitely. But I think that's, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Well, I have to say, growing up in the 70s, um, that's not something I ever came across. But but I mean, uh, maybe somewhat more pertinent to... uh, you know what our um podcasts are about um mm. it just kind of reminds me of um things i did see in the 70s that maybe did uh, stay with me but i mean i get asked um sometimes you know why why horror why what what got you into you know call of cthulhu and horror gaming and that kind of thing what what was it what was the spark and um there's no real one thing but I, I generally think of my my childhood in the 1970s was 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 a complete grounding in why I like horror because literally every, anywhere I turned there was some sort of horror going on in terms of either on TV on films and and life in general and even at school you know mm. watching public public education films at school like Apaches and so forth. Um, but I kind of wondered: Have you? Uh, is, is there anything that kind of um, you would kind of harken back to that that um you kind of think yeah that really 
made some sort of impression that kind of maybe is part of the the DNA of why you know horror is uh, you know same for you as it is for I. Yeah, I mean, I've I've thought about this as well, and it's it's difficult to pin down, isn't it? It's like why do you like the music you like, or why do you like the books you like, or the food you like? It's just a something you enjoy. When I look back, I think that those things were very emotionally moving, and that might just be that I was terrified. Um, but they, they, you know, they struck a strong emotional chord with me, which, although I, they terrified me, at the same time that excited me, and that excited my imagination. Um, sometimes, well, one might say in a bad way because it, you know, it frightened me, but it was a kind of safe, kind of. Being well, frightened, yeah, I mean, it? I mean, it's, that's it's a... that's the whole thing with. Um, I don't know what the term is, but you know, manufactured horror, as in not real life being mm. chased around by a knife wielding maniac or something but in manufactured horror that we you know manufactured in a tv program a film a book a comic whatever it may be it is a you know by din- by default it's a safe environment uh in, in that sense um and um so yeah i think exactly the same for me it kind of you know i saw these things and they they scared me but also excited me and 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 they were they were uh, you know they were a safe horror in that sense that, that you know i could enjoy without actually being utterly terrified that i was actually going to get eaten by a zombie or something uh, although i remember um seeing the, <laughs> seeing first i saw the film poster for um Lucci Fulci's zombie flesh eaters which in the us i think was called zombie 3 um, but in the UK, Zombie Flesh Eaters, and it's a great poster. And I then I remember seeing a TV advert for the film that was on release, uh, Zombie Flesh Eaters. And, um, and then I do have a distinct memory of waking up in the middle of the night, absolutely <laughs> terrified that the zombies were <laughs> in the corridor and about to come in the room. Um, but uh, that was the only uh, the only kind of real uh, horrific effect on me that one. But uh, but it's like. Um, you know, the other classic for anyone, uh, you know, of that of an age in the 1970s would be something like uh, uh, the the Salem's Lot TV series. You know, the one with David Stoll, yeah. uh, which was a which was in certainly in the UK was done over two nights. It was a two parter. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just remember in school the next day, everyone was talking about the vampire at the boys' window. And then I think it's the second episode where you're in the jail and suddenly the the vampire's head suddenly shoots up into the screen, complete kind of, you know, yeah. um, uh, oh. scare shock kind of thing. And, and everyone was talking about it. And I utterly kind of, you know, not only horrified, but extremely excited and thrilled by it. And I think that's part of it. It's not just excitement. It's a thrill you get from uh, those kind of shocks and things like that, I think. Yeah. that I mean, that, that show utterly fantastic i mean film made for tv film i guess isn't it yeah um like you said it's shown over two nights uh starred david soul you know big star from starsky and hutch at the time and uh, yeah that that is just fantastic i i absolutely love that uh it, it did was, it, was it, it did um, find me yeah i mean Definitely. it was uh was, was it james james mason was the uh, yeah the uh, the vampires um you know go to guy yeah yeah that's right yeah, yeah. um what's the uh, what's the vampire's name mr um oh i can't remember yeah 
because there's a there's an antique shop opened up just uh, <laughs> up the up Well Street near me, and it's always shut. And I just want to, you know, I just sort of think it reminds me of the the, the shop in that film. Fantastic! Um, I, lo- I love the ending of it because it left it really open. Mm. But, uh, because they, uh, if I remember correctly, it kind of David's soul and his and the the young guy who's kind of helped him that it kind of just cuts to them somewhere else in a church trying to, you know, filling up vials of holy water and kind of basically saying, you know, they're the vampires are still after them, even though they dealt with the situation yeah. that, that what they did has, has got consequences and, and they can never, you know, never not look over their shoulder now. And, uh, and that really made an impression on me, that kind of sense that, you know, you, you may have thought you've dealt with something, but actually no, it, it will, it's relentless and will come after you thereafter. And I think that's um, that's always been a, a, an appeal to me in that kind of uh, that kind of horror that it's not always a clean finish in that way. Because what I remember is I'm holding a, a bottle of holy water and it's kind of like glowing with a light, and he says, "Oh, there's one of them still out there," or something. Yes. That's, that's something the image like I've got that. in yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're now on the mission to uh, Mr. Barlow. That was Mr. The guy. Barlow. Say, what what the right, owner yeah. of the store and James May say, "Oh, Mr. Barlow's coming soon. Yeah, he'll be here soon." <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, I mean, that's a classic. I remember, though, moving to Yorkshire in the going to university, and it so this was sort of uh, sort of late eighties, and there was a video store there, of course, and I was in there, and there were two, I don't know, older guys in there, and they were looking through the videos, and one of them said, "Oh, Salem's Lot. What about that?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, no, that's really cheesy." And I was like, <laughs> "What?" I mean, this is maybe 10 years after it came out on TV and it terrified me as a kid, but watching it again, I've got it on DVD now and, and watching it again. I mean, I, I still love it. It is kind of cheesy and you watch those scenes and they're, they're not as scary. Not but, I mean, quite it's as got, impactful. Yeah. yeah. But the level of seventies fashion and uh, feels in there is, is brilliant. Yeah. Now there's a certain aesthetic to you know, certain 1970s, certainly TV and definitely certain films that have that kind of, it's the, you know, the grain quality of the image, the the the, the lighting, the colours of the fashion, you know, the colours, mm. isn't it? That the, the kind of uh, lots of oranges and browns and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's a different feel to it all. What I mean, about... I was going to throw out, I mean, like the, the big one that both you and I, love jaws i don't really think of that as a horror film sure but it, you know you could argue i mean is it a horror film i don't know yeah um, it's a horror film it's yes. certainly frightening i guess yeah. the thing is for me often horror means supernatural but it doesn't yeah. have to be I, no I no i think you know ultimately it's the it's the it's the monster movie it's you know you just mm-hmm. take the basic premise of it's uh the monster is out there only one, you know, one or two people know it's out there and they can't convince anyone else it's out there until it, you know, until it really appears and then suddenly it's a something to deal with. Um, and you see that kind of pattern in many kind of, you know, monster movies, but it's that really pure kind of version of that. Um, but yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I remember um, I was too young to see Jaws when it came, came out first time. Oh. But um, when Jaws 2 came out, which was I, I can't I don't know two three years later. 
Yeah, probably lo- not too much later. Yeah, it, it wasn't too late. Um, um, my local cinema did a double bill of Brilliant. Jaws one and two, which I, you know, whether I don't know whether I legally could have got in, but I certainly did get in, and <laughs> I sat and watched both of them, and uh, that was awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I went to see Jaws at the cinema when it came out, so I think it would have been an A certificate. Yeah. Yeah, because there was right. there was double A, which you had to be fourteen, I think, and I definitely wasn't fourteen. So, and I, I wasn't. I'm pretty sure I wasn't sneaking in underage then. Um, so Jaws was an A. You know, I don't know what yeah. it's certified certified as now because these yeah. things kind of change up and they, down. They yeah, they go down, don't they? Over the years, it seems to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like likewise. I mean, I I didn't see Alien at the cinema. Um, no. Again, I was I was borderline. I was you know a, a year or two too young to technically get in. I might have been able to you know get in if I'd have tried, but but uh, I didn't. But so my first exposure to Alien was going to the local bookshop uh, where I used to kind of hang out and look at everything, and they had the Alien um, picture book, which was basically oh. a big big format book of the entire film in photographs. Which was a thing back then, wasn't it? You could get these kind of mm. photo books of the films, and um, obviously I'd not seen it, but I was aware through the general, you know, discourse that it was a scary alien, you know, sci-fi film. So I was naturally interested. So I just remember flicking through the book and kind of, you know, living the movie through these photographs and not really understanding any of the context or the what was really going on, and just you know, looking at um, looking at photos of John Hurt. <laughs> exploding yeah, basically and, uh, that, and it was all black and white images obviously as well it wasn't oh color. what <laughs> so it was all black and white and right. so it's kind of even more kind of removed from the uh yeah rea- and um that was yeah that was ace i mean you know but i you just walk into the news agent in the 1970s you find uh something of horror it would be um, yeah loads of like uh what we would call american comics like um you know creepy or or i'm trying to think you know um strange tales or i can't think of the 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 correct names now but they all have these lurid kind of comic covers of zombies and skeletons and all that kind of thing and uh and they they were they were they were actually really terrifying a lot of the time i remember one story i don't remember what was going on but basically this poor bloke um, gets murdered, and he gets uh, he gets his feet put in concrete by the you know some kind of gangster kind of guy, and he gets thrown in the uh, thrown in the uh, the bay, and uh, I think it's because his uh, his partner is cheating on him. You know, his, his his wife is cheating on him with his gangster partner, so they right. do away with they do away with him, throw him into the bay, feet feet in concrete. And then, uh, and then it cuts to the the uh, the wife and the and the and the other guy, you know, back home, kind of laughing, and ha ha, we dealt with him; he's no longer a problem. And they hear, and you hear this like uh, thunk thunk, you know, in comic Brilliant. form yeah. coming through. And then you see the uh, see the skeletal kind of fish eaten, you know, reanimated guy who's basically chewed off his own feet and is walking on these stumps. And to you know to come and get them at the end and it just kind yeah. of finishes there but it was yeah. <laughs> it made an impression because I, I mean i don't remember many of them now but that one certainly did and uh yeah i just like the idea of the uh the thunking you know on these stubs of uh stubs of legs but it just seems like the 1970s was steeped in this sort of thing i don't think we had to go looking for it i think it was no. pushed on us so like you said comics 
um tv shows i mean kids when kids tv shows like the the five o'clock or five fifteen slot we were we were fed horror we were shown government information films at school i can distinctly remember being shown apaches at school um you know films film posters uh tv shows it it just seemed to be a lot of that kind of thing yeah pretty relentless but 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 accepted it was completely the norm the norm it wasn't you know nobody was um even sweets you know well yeah well the the store dracula ice lollies and uh and Mm. so forth yeah I mean, I remember coming out, I remember, I don't know if it was Apaches, but, you know, maybe the Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water or one of those public information films that we, you know, literally we were herded into the class, into the the main hall at school. We all had to watch it. And I remember at the end, walking out of this dark room into the bright sunlight of the day and everyone, everyone around me just kind of silent, just kind of stunned, really. Yeah. And then... And then you just went back to lessons. It was a bizarre, yeah. bizarre, really. But, yeah, the only um, one I remember seeing is Apaches, and and that, that's available on YouTube. You can look that up and, yeah. and find it. British government information film. And looking at the dates on it, I think it came out in seventy six, seventy seven. I was about ten, uh, yeah. and I would have been sat. I was in middle school, in the school hall shown that and you've got it's like a slasher film you've got a bunch of like six or seven kids and one by one they die horribly one falls into a, a slurry pit you know full of uh animal waste and drowns and you know we had we had a thing similar to that on my dad's farm yeah. um so i mean i guess these things had a, an impact because i was terrified of that afterwards <laughs> i mean it was pretty horrible anyway yeah, yeah. um but and then uh, you know them sat in a shed very you know which in my mind's eye I picture as one of the sheds on my dad's farm and them them sat around passing around like an old cider bottle or something and drinking out of it and it had got I don't know some sort of weed killer or something weed killer or something wasn't it yeah and they all yeah and, and then it cuts to that to that night oh dark, yes. yes and there's the farmhouse and there's this I mean it it gets me right now there's this gut-wrenching screaming that is just horrifying of this child screaming and this light comes on in the house you know the bedroom light comes on uh, it's just yeah. it's terrible, Abs- absolutely no. yeah yeah they're, they're, they're um, not, for the, not for the faint-hearted even now to oh, be honest god no no um, no they're really yeah. not and um, uh, but that was you know we i mean i i i would have watched out the same year it came out so you were 10 mm. I was seventy six, so I would have been I would have been six or seven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, watch yeah. this and don't muck about on farms. Basically, was the message. Um, yeah, I, I mean, farms mind, we, are well we, known for being like one of the most dangerous workplaces because, and I can totally understand that. I had a, I had a friend who worked for Health and Safety, and um, yeah, they, they were like, yeah, farms are, are terribly dangerous. And having grown up on one, because anything that needs doing. We can fix that. We can do that. You don't get right. people in. You just fix it yourself. Oh, that that wire's hanging out the wall. Oh yeah, well that, that'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll wire that in later. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, you were talking about TV and the facts. I mean that that kind of um, four thirty five o'clock slot on, oh. particularly on yeah you know, ITV and BBC in the UK. Um, I mean the one that 
always has stayed with me is the changes, mm. which um, came out in around 1975, maybe 1976. Oh, wow, right. Um, and, um, I mean, I've, I've subsequently, you know, got the DVD and rewatched it all. But for the majority of my life, the only thing I've ever remembered about it and being utterly terrified at the time, it kind of living in my brain in that way, was the uh, the intro credits, yeah, and it's it's the um, and you get this kind of industrial kind of noise over these shots of kind of um, rocks falling and and all this mm. kind of thing, and it's it just absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and um, and uh, and now now I've now I've rewatched it. I mean, I mean, it starts off with um, you know, normal life in Britain in the nineteen seventies. And then suddenly this awful kind of noise just fills the air and everyone basically goes mad and starts attacking each other and destroying machinery. And the whole plot revolves around this this event happens and nobody knows what it is. But basically everyone uh, is instantly uh, adverse to technology. And so over the course of, you know, the episode, society completely breaks down and reverses this kind of um pre-industrial english age with people going around on horses and tiny communities and and no one really you know going outside their communities and and this is all seen through the eyes of this girl our kind of you know uh main character hero who you know is is on a kind of mission to you know survive really and she kind of travels through these different communities and it literally is this kind of you know backward kind of history and um yeah i mean it's uh i i, I enjoyed it thoroughly watching it again and uh but when the titles came up it really brought it all back to me that kind of like oh that was just absolutely terrifying at the time i mean i guess the big one the elephant in the room doctor who well and yeah through this i mean the I suppose I was growing up in the 70s, so that's kind of when I think of Doctor Who as being. That was when I was watching it um, with with Tom Baker and so on. Um, but there was a lot of stuff in there that was pretty scary. But the most scary thing for me, again, like you just said, the title sequence, the credit sequence. Oh, okay. I used, I, when I was very small, um, I think my siblings were watching it maybe, and... I used to say, and now on BBC One, it's time for Doctor Who. And I would leave the room. At that point, I would leave the room right. and shut the sitting room door. <laughs> and then when the credit sequence had finished, they'd call me in because wow. I couldn't be in the room when oh, that no. was on. So it wasn't no. behind the sofa. It was outside the room. I had literally, and that's the only thing I left the room for. I can't remember doing that with anything else, but for the title sequence, yeah, I had to leave the room. Oh, wow. No, I mean, I did the, I was behind the sofa with the title sequence. I mean, it wasn't the title, the title sequence didn't affect me. That was quite exciting for me, but it was knowing what was about to happen, you know, coming, the horror was coming. Uh, that would, I would stand behind the sofa and about halfway through the episode, I'd kind of migrate back to the you know sitting on the sofa right. yeah. um depending on what was going on but for me it was those really early uh early episodes for me the kind of uh john pertwee you know the um the green death mm. where it was giant maggots giant maggots yeah and uh planet of the spiders with the exactly giant, giant spiders sitting on people's backs and things like that um that was all you know utterly terrifying yeah. well it's funny because i mean we just said you're a few years younger than me i mean not many years younger but but those are the ones I remember as my first memories of Doctor Who yeah. as well. 
but I think it would have been watched in my house probably from I don't know. I, I imagine my because my my siblings are quite a bit older than me, so um, I'm pretty sure they would have been watching it. You know, yeah, from the get go, and 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 I would have been exposed to it from from yeah. a very young child before you uh, kind of remember it. Yeah. The one that I remember yeah. terrifying me was Pyramids of Mars with the, oh, the, the giant mummies and Tom Baker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, it's got it's and uh, just uh, you know, as an aside, it does just have kind of a you know a kind of unmentioned Neil Athotep in it, doesn't it? it does. It's got the uh, yeah. the, the yeah. dark pharaoh at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sukhtef, I think. Um, yes. But uh, yeah, fantastic. And he opens up the doors and you can see like, isn't it, is he on Mars or is he on a future sort of wasteland of Oh, of something. I can't Earth, remember. I think. He goes forward in the TARDIS to show what, what Earth will become like, I think, is is what happens. Yes. And he opens the doors and it's just a, you know, burnt wasteland. Yeah, like a Martian landscape. And almost, I mean, but I that, that was, I don't know if it was the same season, but certainly within one or two seasons of the Tom Baker era where you had the um the the horror of Fang Rock where he's on that lighthouse and it's a Victorian it's a Victorian lighthouse in the middle of nowhere on a rock in the middle of the sea and there's that well alien but glowing monster thing you know eating you know the lighthouse keepers and uh you know the doctor and Sarah turn up and uh are caught in what is effectively a gaslight horror scenario and um fantastic so again i mean they seem to be very informed by the kind of horror that was going on that was prevalent of the time yeah uh, a lot of those stories now you talked about seeing film posters <clears throat> well yeah me too because where i where i lived i'd walk to school and it to middle school i would walk past the cinema yeah uh, it was about a mile i suppose and i'd walk i mean I live on that route right now. So it was uh, a few hundred yards down that way is the school. Uh, the cinema is opposite my house. And then there was a, a sweet shop on the corner just over there. And then my old house kind of about half a mile along the, the road. And yeah, and you'd see these lurid posts because they'd only have like one film each week. I mean, sometimes it'd be a double bill or whatever, and but, but they'd have the, the big posters outside the cinema. And I, I I don't know what this was, but I just remember one, I think this was when I was in primary school, so I was really young. And there was this kind of weird poster of like this giant chicken monster or something like this biting people's heads off or something. That, that just kind of terrified me. Because these would also appear in the in the local paper. There'd always be like a list right. of what's going to be on at the cinema. Um and uh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the the, the one that I mean, I mentioned zombie flesh eaters was a good poster, but uh, the one that again, I was young, I was younger, and that what what it used to be. The reason why I think these had an effect is because at the train station, while you were waiting for a train, opposite on the other platform was this massive poster for the whatever film was on that week. So right. literally, you, you yeah. sit out, whatever time you got to the train station early, you just sit staring at this poster. And it wasn't just a glancing look, you know, you were there for, you know, 10 minutes or more looking at this poster. And the one that really had my interest was um, Larry Cohen's 1977 film called It's Alive. And um, it's a fantastic poster. All it is, you're looking at a, a, a pram, a child's pram, kind of uh, end on. So you're looking into the pram, but uh, the actual window into the pram, you know, the hood is completely dark black. You mm. can't see it. Mm. All all that's coming out are these two green 
claw-like hands and there are blood scratches on the uh on the pram's front and then in the space where you would see its face it's completely darkened it just says save your screams until you see its face brilliant and then the it's alive certificate yeah. x, certificate x i mean yeah if, if that's not going to make you want to go and see this film i don't know what will i mean i and and yeah that stayed with me a long long time so that, yeah no i can see that right. i mean yeah <laughs> they had such great marketing then yeah i mean it really plays on played on your imagination and uh you know really kind of you know makes you think about it and then you know oh, well i want to see its face it's going to be so horrible mm. yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. kind of thing and oh, the, obviously that, a, a couple of others that sort of uh that, that i never saw um the incredible melting man Oh, awesome. he goes up to space yeah. and he comes back and he just starts melting yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah I've, I've never seen that, but I, oh, I need I, to watch that. Really, I have. So it's got it's got the it's got a fantastic line in it when uh, I think some police officer or somebody is you know, tracking him down and they're following a trail of goo and gore that he's leaving and he's melting. And at one point, he just he hears someone go, "Oh, I found his ear." <laughs> it's a fantastic scene. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's well, well worth a watch. The Incredible Melting Man. It's uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I remember the the posters for that. I'm wanting to see that for a very long time, and I didn't see that until probably around 2000, something like that. It was a long time until I saw it. Yes, yeah, and I wasn't me, disappointed actually. actually. That one lived no. up to the expectations. I mean that. Yeah, I haven't watched it for a while, but. Great I mean that that had in the seventies that was a massive controversially uh, controversial mm. film in the UK because uh, it was effectively bad. Well, it was I think it was uncensored, as in the I, I'm trying to remember correctly. I don't think the 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 British Board of Film Censors didn't classify, it, as in they they wouldn't accept it. Right, uh, and and so it became a local council because local local councils at the time could issue their own certificate or allow a film to play, even though nationally hadn't got a certificate. So I I remember, I don't know how I picked this up, but um, one of the London boroughs, probably the one with the Prince Charles cinema in, um, basically granted an X certificate to it. So there was a big thing about anyone who wanted to see it needed to go to London to see it. And I'm not sure. Maybe maybe there were some others as well. So, and that was obviously all in the newspapers, and you know this terrifying film. It's been banned mm. and, and all that kind of thing. So, uh, but yeah, but as you say, um, seeing it much later on, um, yeah, really, it does it does kind of stand up in that way that it's uh, it's still a quite a chilling film in a way. It's just the kind of the I I, I often find a matter of fact horror is a way that it's you know the characters just matter of factly deal horror um is quite chilling sometimes because it's to me it's you know without the supernatural element that's much closer to real life that's much more kind of you know potentially possible in that sense of somebody just you know cold-bloodedly kind of uh doing away with their folk and so forth yeah yeah that's uh marvelous yeah, and we and we haven't even talked about beasts, so we're gonna have to save that one for another time. I think aren't we? that that's too much. Yeah, I've I've started rewatching those. Actually, I've watched I think the first three, so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the rest of those. Oh, we'll we'll have to do um, maybe a, a, an a episode special. on a beast special. Maybe it may be a little little cross into some other Nigel Neal stuff like Quatermass. 
Yeah. You know, all, all good stuff to look forward to. That's, oh, uh, Lord, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we should yeah, give a yeah. shout out to uh, Scarred for Life, um, that wonderful book. Uh, oh, yes. Two volumes. Uh, there's a, a 1970s volume of all the things, you know, basically all the things we've been talking about that we lived through. The authors of that book did the same and they put it all together into a book. And there's two volumes. There's a 1970s one and the 1980s one, which uh, are just full of wonderful essays and reminiscences about these, uh, well, these kind of things we've been talking about, really. Okay. And uh, if you're enjoying this, then check out our regular show, Mason and Fricker's Eldritch Stories, where we're reading short stories that each of us have written. Um, and uh, you can find out more about that and subscribe at eldritchstories.com. Yeah. And you can uh, subscribe to the show's Substack and get uh, get strange emails from us about you know episodes and other bizarre thoughts that may come to us uh, when we're trying to write an email so uh you know subscribe if you get a chance and obviously you know like every other podcast you've ever listened to if you would like to leave us a, a nice review somewhere then uh please uh you, you know please do so and you will have our thanks so uh thanks in advance for that anything else mike before we sign off I'm not sure. Uh, maybe just watch the skies. Sound advice. So, but uh, other than that, uh, thanks everyone, and uh, put that away. And <laughs> and don't forget to Paul. Keep it eldritch. <laughs>